Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. Hey everyone, on Sunday, July 2nd, my next free email series begins. This is a three-week series, completely free, that I will be sending into your email inbox to teach you about healing sexual trauma, liberating your vitality by uncoupling disgust, terror, shame, and anything else that's become overcoupled and associated with sex or sexuality. Again, this is free. It will be three weeks long. You'll get a total of six emails, and you'll learn so much from navigating sexual fawning to finding capacity for pleasure, and even learning how to discern if the things that turn you on are rooted in a trauma reenactment or if they truly create freedom for you. So visit my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and you can sign up for the free three-week email series there. On today's episode, I meet with Inge Singelman, and we speak about the reorienting when we look outward for belonging, reorienting that inwards so we can find belonging in ourselves and from there live a really beautiful life. We can become curious about those parts of us that maybe were lost or we didn't have the capacity to hold all of it because everything has energy. And so when it's a lot of energy and our physiology doesn't yet have the capacity, we fragment and we dissociate, right? But once you've expanded that container, then 
oh, you can hold more. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Welcome Inge Sengelman to my podcast. Thank you for being with me today. So excited to be with you, Louise. It's been um, a long time since we talked and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it was interesting because you're one of those people that I heard in some other space. I was watching a replay of something you did for the Somatic Experiencing International. Yes. And your presence and your words and your tone and everything you were saying, it was just weaving through my body. And I thought I have uh, to speak to this person. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so I kind yes. of wanted to start with just saying, maybe just introducing yourself to us. Tell okay. us how you want us to know you. Okay, well, we met in the context of uh, multiculturalism and how to navigate being multicultural in a, or in being in a white, white passing body in a world uh, that is uh, so binary. Uh, and it was an interesting conversation where I talked about the fact that I grew up in Nicaragua and many people don't know because I have a German name. They don't know that I was an immigrant to the United States. And uh, currently I'm an immigrant in Portugal. So I'm sitting in the Azores as we speak. And uh, so my roots are um, Latin American and I'm fully bilingual in Spanish and other languages. So, uh, And I came to somatic experiencing when I became a therapist because I had done work in the body to heal and knew that I wanted to be a somatic oriented uh, practitioner, uh, not just a cognitive behavioral therapist. And uh, went to an SE training and fell in love. And since then, I've been assisting, uh, supporting students as they learn SE and doing consultations. And uh, additionally, um, I'm a yogi, I'm a yoga practitioner and teacher and uh, meditator. And what else can I say? All of those things kind of blend together for me. Just beautiful. I'm just enjoying kind yeah. of going on that with you. I was thinking I I had such a similar experience where I went into I was about to go back and finish my psychology major. And then I went to one weekend of a somatic experiencing immersion. And I said, this is for me. Yeah. Just fell in love. Right? Yeah, coming into the body, right? The place that is home. To me, this is home. Many mm. people ask me, well, where are you from? Or you know, where do you live? And I live right here. This oh, is... I love that. <laughs> I love and, that. and when you arrive here, then you can be anywhere. You know, it's easier to adapt and to uh, belong. You know, I think, I think that was part of the conversation that you heard that intrigued you was about where do we belong when we have these multiple identities, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, 
you know, do you belong in one group in another group or do you belong in all of them? You know, and so belonging mm. to me had to be a, an internal feeling. See, let's, uh, let's be with that. That's, yeah. that's the gold right there. Mm -hmm. I just want everyone to hear that again, how belonging in yourself, right? Belonging yes. to this part of you, where wherever you are, it's in the body is where you belong. Yes, it's your essence, the essence that is inhabiting your body, you know? Mm -hmm. I find that so important for me. Um, and yes, that was the piece that really lit me up when I was listening to the replay. Uh, because I think the I think the gift of being multicultural is you don't fit anywhere. That's mm -hmm. that's the gift. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. And so I kind of want to hear a little bit about your experiences of not belonging before you learned how to just belong to yourself. Tell us about that. Yes. Oh, it's so fascinating because when I was in uh, graduate school for social work. One of my mentors and someone I really uh, admire and adore, he just, he was a great professor and he was Moroccan who went to Canada, who then went to the United States. And one day I, I told him, you know, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. And he was like, oh, that's so sad. And I meant it like you meant it, like, because I don't have a citizenship, so to speak. I feel like I can belong anywhere, you know, and not in that trauma-based adaptation in which you mold yourself like a chameleon, mm -hmm. but rather because you learn to appreciate multiplicity of ethnicities and cultures and languages. You know, I've always been fascinated by all of that. And, uh, but I have to say that there, there was a lot of trauma involved when I, uh, I left my country was because of a war and, and uh, came to the United States as a refugee. And I was uh, living with uh, some relatives in New Orleans and going to this uh, Catholic girls school where Everybody, I mean, to me, I it was like I landed on an alien planet because mm -hmm. there were all these young women who were not at all aware of the world around them. And, uh, you know, they were concerned with teenage things and girl things. And I was like coming from this real serious stuff. And so I was, I really literally walked around my high school years in a dissociated state, you know, and it wasn't until I went to my 30th year reunion that I was talking to some of my friends and they were re relating memories. And I was like, where was I? You know, I don't remember any of that, you know, and I do remember some things, but uh, yeah, it was surreal, surreal. and. I learned to speak English, you know, without much of an accent. And um, I, I went through that whole adaptation that it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I realized was whitewashing of my identity. You know, it was um, even, you know, even the language, you know, I, I felt so proud that I integrated, right? And that's great. It, it's important. However, it was like whole parts of my identity were washed away, you know, because Even I when wanted... I hear you, 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, because you wanted... I wanted to fit in. I think that that's the right. I'm so glad you said the last piece. I wanted to fit in because I hear I actually like the term integrating. It's assimilating and kind of like mimicking. Mm -hmm. I, I find to be the I want to fit in, whereas the integration is all my parts are in relationship with this with this place, with this experience, you know, whatever it is we're going through. And I think it's um it's an art to find that way to integrate and allow those pieces of you to relate together to kind of be online and sharing this experience yes. as a whole not as just parts did did you have an actual practice for that did somatics help you with that tell us like how you developed that oh somatics was critical to it um and you know i'll describe it for the listeners even as you were saying those things you were weaving with your hands you were and bringing your hands towards your center and that's kind of how it feels it's like a weaving and you know um i'll say this for a long time all those parts were at war and i listened to some of your other podcasts around how disease starts and yes i had an autoimmune disorder i had Eventually I had cancer and, you know, so my, you know, the body is at war when our, in, our identities, our sense of self is not integrated. In fact, for me, when I began my journey, I had no sense of self. When people would say sense of self, I'd be like, what? <laughs> Who am I? And where do I live? I, I, I was pretty much a shell, right? I felt very empty. And so, yeah, with somatics, I started to come in. It's like we become that interoceptive awareness, that sense of our internal states comes with the practice of being curious about sensations, being curious about um, even emotions were elusive to me at the time that I began my journey, you know, mm -hmm. and it was it was both a, a a therapeutic journey, also a spiritual journey. So I was into beginning to learn meditation, learning mindfulness, learning yoga, and at the same time, uh, starting to do some work. And it was a friend of mine who led me first to a network chiropractor, you know, which was light touch chiropractic. It was like the beginning acupuncture, you know, body work. All those things were part of the weaving of the journey. And then eventually I started to find therapists that were trained in some kind of body orienting or oriented modality. But the one I've fallen in love with is somatic experiencing because it's so nuanced. And one of the things that I love is the fact that uh, we talk about resources and counter vortex, not just trauma vortex, you know, not just being in the core of the trauma, but building this whole world of resources that can support our healing. And um, yeah, I lost my train of thought right there. Maybe you have something to add. I would say good timing because, <laughs> because I have a bunch of things coming up. Um, I just want to go back to this where do I belong? Where do I live? Because you're, you're coming to that from this multicultural perspective. 
um, you know, actually living in different lands and different cultures and experience that in real time. I came from that from being born into a multi multicultural home and family. So I born in America, this is my culture I've experienced. Yet, my identity and my family and different skin tones and everything was ambiguous. And mm -hmm. I came out looking like this. And so, <laughs> you know, and so it was always interesting because I didn't identify with any um, box that I could check um, anywhere, really, whether it be a race or even sexuality. It just mm -hmm. I've always felt so fluid in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So I come to it from that place. You come to it from your place. The it that we're both coming to is realizing when I orient externally to belong, I suffer. Yes. When, right? When I orient internally to belong, I don't suffer. I just want us to riff on that more. So people listening who, I mean, I think at this point, most people are multicultural. But yes. if if they don't identify as such, we don't even have to pigeonhole ourselves into the multicultural perspective. Just the belonging place that yeah. we came to from being multicultural. Tell us more about like the somatic experience of orienting outward to belong compared to inward. Yes, it's well, and and even in Nicaragua, I grew up in a multicultural family because my father is 100% German, born and raised in Nicaragua, but of German parents. So my grandparents were German. And so uh, there was always a confusion. And so somatically, when you start to explore it, there can be I call it visceral confusion. It's like things are out of rhythm and they can't find their rhythm, rhythm like even the organs. And it's like, you know, and then, you know, you start to explore maybe some, some generational traumas and even more like, how do I, you know, there were Nazis and anti-Nazis in my family. There were Jews in my German family. There was so oppressor and oppressed within us, right? Um, and and then the the indigenous uh, versus the colonizer, you know. And so when I started to when, when I had come enough into my body to start to experience these things, it's it was like like gut literally gut wrenching and. I don't know how to describe it, but it's literally like your organs are twerking in there, mm -hmm. you know? And if you stay with it, if you're able to be the witness and you have enough support and enough presence, uh, things begin to organize and get into rhythm. And I think that's the key to healing is, you know, if you talk about coherence, that's what it is, right? Coherence is when, when, not just breath and heart are working in synchrony, but all of our systems. And then if you're like, I know you are someone who explores multidimensionally, then, you know, all of these dimensions begin to kind of be in rhythm and dance and flow. Mm. And, and that to me is the ultimate bliss. And, you know, what else is the sense of belonging, but not that, right. This kind of, blissfully being in yourself. Mm. I'm loving this term visceral confusion. I think it's so spot on. 
And I think those of you listening, you can probably feel it even as we say it, if you're experiencing it now or if your body remembers it. It, it, the viscera, those organs, the, the fascia, the tissues, literally, they just constrict and they curl up and all this disorganization happens, you know, biologically inside of us. I I guess what I'm curious about, so I'll say, speaking for myself, loss of identity actually released my visceral confusion because my my grasping for identity was too limiting for me because of my ambiguity and because like you say the multidimensionality of the consciousness and such <laughs> where do you go with that well i'm i'm loving what you said it's it it's for me it's not necessarily loss of identity however it's in the letting go something new released right something new organized something maybe more real right more true and uh yeah so i'm i'm loving that language around letting go of grasping grasping for identity and i'm making the gesture of grasping right because sometimes there's nothing to grasp and and then ambiguity i love that word ambiguity because i think ambiguity makes humans seemingly uncomfortable right and 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 that's creating a lot of the dynamics of uh polarization and uh division because we are so uncomfortable with ambiguity and what i hear that you did is you became very comfortable with ambiguity right Ooh, and it, yes. everything's settled <laughs> I love this so much. I so I just had uh, tea the other day with a new friend. Um, she's this amazing writer and and um, I guess we call her like a poet philosopher, um, Sophie Strand. And I'm gonna have her on the podcast in a, I don't know sometime this year. But she had said this incredible term: um, low ambiguity threshold. Oh, I love it. <laughs> So when you just said being comfortable in, in ambiguity, I thought, yes, because the for me, the grasping for identity. And what I mean by that is I mean someone else's idea of someone, really. You know, an it's... identity someone else formed. And that was especially the normalized identities. Like every culture has the one that we think is the standard. Then there's right. all these kind of fringe identities on the side or the ambigu ambiguous ones yeah. that kind of lack identity. Mm -hmm. The grasping for that for me came from a low ambiguity threshold. I didn't have the capacity to be with all these contradictory multitudes within myself, right? Yes. But then as that capacity built, it was like, I'm actually at home in myself for the first time. Yes, exactly. And then you don't need to grasp, but you can explore all those multiplicities and the richness Ooh. of it. That's right? important. When you said grasp and explore, I just wanted to kind of feel those two. Yeah. That's a big difference. It's a big difference because now that you have more capacity, all of that energy can live within you, right? Mm. Mm. I also hear with gra if I'm grasping identity, it's a fixed state of who I am. If I'm exploring identity, it's a fluid state of who I am. It's changing moment by moment. Yes. Yes. And part of the, I think, the gift of uh, working in the SE model, right, with resources and counter vortex is that I, I started to 
explore all of those parts of me that had been erased. And again, this goes for anybody with different identities, what, you know, sexual orientation, gender, you know, you name it, all, all of it, you can, you know, now begin to see, oh, what about my indigenous roots? Oh, what is, what do I want to know about that? What are the gifts that maybe I had lost because that was erased? What about the gifts from even the Germanic ancestors, I started to look into ancient tribes. What were they like? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that my name comes from one of the original tribes, original Germanic tribes. No idea. But we can become curious about um, those parts of us that maybe were lost or we didn't have the capacity to hold all of it because everything has energy. And so when it's a lot of energy and our physiology doesn't yet have the capacity, we fragment and we dissociate, right? But once you've expanded that container, then, oh, you can hold more. I'm really moved as well by the idea of, um, because I I come up, I hear this a lot in, um, especially people who are white presenting and multicultural, uh, where they won't they won't look at certain roots because of, let's say, the harm that a certain lineage caused. Yeah. Yet, uh, and Amber McZeal, one of my favorite people and, and amazing things that she has shared with us in this podcast and in my work, um, she asked the question, you know, all of your ancestors at one point were indigenous, right? Like everyone's yeah. ancestors at some point were indigenous, some closer some further back. Right. And so to overcouple um white with colonizer is just very short-sighted. It's yeah. currently the experience we've experienced, right? The colonization of the Americas came from Europe. And before that, who were they? Like the, the curiosity mm-hmm. of well, yeah. there's so much love in me. I don't have to reduce it to good, bad based on lineage. There's a nuance even within that. How do it's- you navigate that? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I've I've done many experiences, uh, some with somatic experiencing with Peter Levine and Efuni Yaki, if you've ever met mm-hmm. her. Yeah, she was on here early on. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And uh, she does more a constellations work type work. But I, I'd also done some work with Daniel Four. Do you know him? He was also in here before. (laughs) Oh, ancestral medicine. And that work asks us to invite healed ancestors. And we all have healed ancestors. And they do part of the repair work. We're not doing all of the repair work in ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, because the reality is that, yeah, going back hundreds of generations, everybody was, everybody's been colonized and everybody's been a colonizer at some point. I mean, th- it seems to be part of the human history, right? That mm-hmm. somebody's trying to oppress somebody else at some point. And so when I mentioned that I did that work around the the Nazi ancestors, uh, it was about uh, making, kind of uh, making peace with the parts of me that are colonizers and the parts of me that were colonized or 
uh, in trauma language or SE language talking about uh, the aggressor and the and the victim or uh, uh, victim perpetrator dynamics, you know, because I need to make peace, peace with the fact that I am just as capable of anybody else of doing mm. harm mm. as much as I am of harming. And so how am I going to work with those energies, you know, and <laughs> notice I'm putting my hands against each I, other. It's like um, disintegration. That's, that's that profound to, to me. Um, I'm, I can't help but cut you off because you're making me excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were saying that integration that has to happen. Yeah. No, and, and cut me off because I love the way the fluidity between our interaction. Yeah, it's fun. You're, you're making me collect my <laughs> thoughts in a different way by our interaction. I, I, that's what I love about relationship is how you by saying and being and, and and expressing in front of me is awakening these things inside of me in real time. I mean, it's, it's such gorgeous medicine. And I mean, there's so much there you said that I'm just like, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm a part Luis, take your time. And uh, these two that really resonated with me is I'm capable of harm and I'm capable of, of healing, right? All of us are. And when I think of working with a lineage, again, many people who do ancestral work will come up to all this kind of um, guilt or shame or pain when they realize, oh, I'm part of this lineage that did this to this people, let's say. Mm -hmm. I personally, when I come up, when I've found that in my body, um, it's interesting to see it through the lens of trauma and somatics because let's say like Nazis, like in your lineage, that's a huge collective trauma response, yeah. right? And when we can see it through that lens, we can understand, you know, an individual body had a trauma response to hurt other bodies, created a story about it. It became collective amongst those bodies and it became a huge violent movement. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it, in any way, it never condones, what you know, it never uh, praises what someone did because they were traumatized. Yeah. However, it gives us this agency of, oh, well, I'm not that right now. So, yes. right, I can go in and connect to those parts and release them from me and be aware that they're in me. So yeah. I don't go into that mindset of I'm better or worse than somebody else. I can just be this kind of balanced plane of I can go either way. So in this self-relating, I stay balanced. Yes, yes. And it, it's so important what you just said about not going into the the better or worse or bad or, you know, because that's the world of duality, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like in somatic experiencing, Peter Levine says that the healing is in the movement between the trauma vortex and the counter vortex is the ability to pendulate, right? Uh, the same is said in yoga, right? It, it says that uh, we are liberated when we're able to hold the contradictory, mm. you know, opposing um, uh, whatever the duality is. And mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm able to be with the intense pain again, because I've expanded capacity. When it comes up, I'm able to be with the intense grief, the intense guilt or shame and move through it 
And I'm also able to be with the extreme joy and elation and euphoria. And if I can observe both, I, I, and, but I'm the witness, right? There's the ability to not get caught up in either, right? Not get caught up in better, worse, bad, good, evil, holy. I, I even find that's what I love about the witness. And I, I often use that term myself or that, that archetype of this, this consciousness, this conscious mind is the witnesser. And it's so far out. It's so psychedelic to me. You know, as I always say, I don't need drugs. I have somatics. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you get really still and you get in that, you notice, whoa, I'm witnessing this body. I'm not this body. It's incredible. And the witnesser, in my experience, doesn't have identity. The witnesser like witnesses different expressions and experiences. It can even witness the concepts and stories of identity. But it in itself is infinite and it comes from somewhere else and it's not identified. And I think when I was saying loss of identity earlier, I think that's what I was trying to say. You entered entering into non-dual awareness. Right, exactly, exactly. So I respect reality. I respect identity. I respect story and thought. I respect Mm -hmm. it because it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me... When I'm living from the witnesser and I'm living from that non-dual conscious mind, I'm not like Latino or white or Irish or German. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not that. My body is. It comes from those places. But I'm not those things. I I just think that's so... I don't know even how to say anything beyond that about it. It's so far out to me. Can you give me some language? Well, well, I don't know that I can give you some language, but it's because experience doesn't have language, right? Mm, um, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. However, I will say this kind of brings me to the the my yoga lineage is tantric, and so in tantra is about both duality and non-duality, and so in tantra, all of it is wonderful the wonderful play of creation to witness you know and and so the the question is how are going to be we going to mold that reality how are we going to use story and identity and somatics and to be able to well let's go back to the word integrate and feel whole right so that we don't use those techniques or methodologies to create more separation or more sense of like, I'm really done with creating a trauma identity. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so important that we don't reinforce the trauma identity when we're, we're working to heal trauma. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that means for you, for those listening. Uh, trauma identity. Well, it's when we become identified with our history, the things that happen to us, our symptoms that come from that, and it becomes who we are. And then it makes wanting to change or, or the ability to change uh, almost uh, blocked. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's another reason why I really don't support diagnostic criteria because people become 
oh, I am bipolar. And all of a sudden, I am that, right? Yes, yes, me too. Love that. And so how do we work towards healing in a way that uh, doesn't reinforce that? And also doesn't reinforce avoidance and pretending that doesn't exist, right? I wasn't traumatized. That didn't happen. I don't have these symptoms. Yes, we need to work with them, but it's not who you are because ultimately I think what you described is who we are, right? It's it's that uh, pure awareness, pure consciousness that resides as our individualized, you know, unique physiologies and mm-hmm. psyches that were, you know, designed mm-hmm. to come here for a purpose, right? I love that so much. I I love I I'll, I like to play with those different statements of who am I compared to where am I, mm-hmm. and when you're talking about past traumatic events that become identities, you know I I had personal experience with that, and it was so burdensome and heavy because I was invoking this past experience every time I identified as that experience. Yeah. And when it went from who am I, which that was the who, to where am I. It was this question of current reality. Oh, I'm right here in front of you in this chair. I'm not that traumatic experience that happened. Mm-hmm. And it was this kind of like real-time nowness that released a lot of those pressures. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, there's a description of what is trauma is the inability to be present in the here and now, right? Mm. We keep, we keep mm. getting hijacked to another reality that no longer exists. So... Yes, that's why, you know, anchoring the ability to stay present in the here and now is so important to healing work. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you work, because we're going to start wrapping up. Like, what kind of work do you do? How can people work with you? Tell us a bit about your your practice. Um, well, first of all, I'm semi-retired and trying to have more time <laughs> for play and um uh, okay, so let me let me throw that out. <laughs> Tell us what you're interested in playing with these days. Well, I I I do love teaching people about trauma, and I do love teaching, uh, working with people to heal their trauma who are uh, maybe have done some work and have gotten somewhere, but are uh, now willing to explore in this manner, right? Which is here and now presence oriented to uh, creating the counter vortex. You know, someone asked me to do a, a presentation on the joy of healing trauma. And I had I had to think about it. I, I'm like, can't there be joy in healing trauma? Mm, yeah. And I thought, Oh my God, yes. Yes. Right? Because that's, you know, beginning to connect with resources, beginning to uh, to connect with orienta- orienting to pleasure through the five senses, healthy mm-hmm. pleasures, non-addictive pleasures through, through the five senses. That's the counter vortex that's going to support any healing work. And what is the healing work? It's basically your body releasing the conditioning from those events it's not about the event itself as you know it's not what happened to us or who did it it's like how is this encoded in my nervous system in my dna and how can i shift it so i can be fully here live in this body and enjoy be able to enjoy right i mean that's what i want to close on because that's such a potent you know, message right there. 
um do is there a website anyone can find your work or anything about you on yeah embodyyourlife.org embody your life because that's what it's about for me embodying the life force the essence that consciousness well, Inge, you embody that. And oh, that's okay. what drew me to you. And I'm so grateful you took this time to be with me and speak to us about this. Thank you, Louise. So lovely to be with you. It's really been a pleasure. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.